I love hearing Eli's enthusiasm for his fiance. That's great. They're getting married very soon, I believe. So exciting time for them. Eli's a great guy. I mean, what a privilege for our students to have him leading worship. He does an awesome job with that. So thankful for him. When 1956, Dreft, which was a manufacturer of soap back then, I don't believe that company exists any longer, introduced a new pink laundry soap. And they launched it with an advertising campaign to promote it uh, that they called Pink Dreft Tinkled, Tickled Pink uh, contest, okay? And uh, they gave away, I think about that and thought, man, they must have been hard up for an advertising department, you know, to call it that. But they gave away uh, televisions and radios and electric blankets and five pink Ford Thunderbirds made exclusively for the contest. And little two-seaters, absolutely, you know, cute little cars. Well, fast forward 20 years to 1976. Graduated from seminary, and Beck and I went to a small town called Lodi in Wisconsin, a kind of a bedroom community to the north of Madison, and that's where we began our ministry in our first church. Well, in that, it was either the first year or the second year, this couple began attending by the name of <clears throat> Dick and Grace Knudsen. And, um, excuse me a second. <clears throat> one, of my, um, one of my memories that I treasure is the friendship with Dick and, and the opportunity I had one day in this little town and this little restaurant just, you know, a little ways, a couple of blocks from our church building and where I shared the gospel with Dick and uh, with all of his, I mean, we were in a booth and right next to was kind of the community table where all the guys would gather from town that he had known for years and I <clears throat> went, <clears throat> boy, went through the gospel with him. And uh, at the end of which, he, I, I asked him if he wanted to pray to receive Christ, trust in Christ as his Savior. And, and I expected we'd go back, like, back over to the church building to do it. And Dick just looked at me and said, yeah. And he bowed his head. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and we, it was so cool because he just prayed there right with all his buddies around him that he'd known a long time. Well, Dick was a, Dick was a chiropractor. But the thing that he was really into, in fact, he used to say he never, he never wanted his work to spoil his, his fun. And uh, his fun was rebuilding uh, antique cars like, like those Thunderbirds from the 50s and the 60s. And also these little yellow cub airplanes. And so every once in a while, he'd pull up to, my, up to the church building on a, you know, in the summer in one of these little Thunderbirds and... Uh, and, uh, and say, hey, Steve, you know, let's take a break. And, and then we drive out to the airport and we go up in one of these little cub planes that he built, which I can hardly believe I did that now when I think about it. And, and then Becky let me take Greg up there, her son, her firstborn, up in one of these little planes. And I remember I could still see Greg's face like, this is like, can't believe I'm doing this, you know. But the, the, thing, the thing that Dick loved was really collecting these cars. And by the time we left uh, uh, Lodi, he had nine of these little, little two-seater Thunderbirds. 
And you're probably guessing what, the, what I'm leading to. One of those nine was one of those five pink thunderbirds. Okay, which is, what Dick would do is he would, he would fly out to California and because, you know, in the Midwest you had salt and cars would rust out. And he would fly out there, he'd find one of these thunderbirds, he'd bring it back to Lodi, and then he would rebuild it. And the thing that was so important to Dick is that it, it had to be the genuine article. I mean, he, his restoration was absolutely real. It was genuine. It was authentic. All the way down to the color of the paint. He would never paint a, one of those Thunderbirds a color that wasn't their original color when, when they were first, first built. So it was pretty cool. And he did not know when he bought that Thunderbird that he was getting one of those five Thunderbirds. So you can imagine what that little car is worth now. So I, I called, I called, I called back to Lodi, got a hold of one of his sons and said, man, would it be possible to get a picture uh, to show on Sunday morning? So they still got that car, still sitting along with the other eight Thunderbirds and, and he, he has a bunch of other cars. Like he's got one of the, one of the early uh, uh, Ford Mustang convertibles. I mean, pretty cool. Uh, what he's doing. So, but if you were to buy, if you were to go to Dick and you were to buy that car uh, from him, you would know that you are getting a genuine restoration. Well, that's what we've been talking about in this series, in this four, five-week series we've been doing in 1 Peter. We've been talking about living lives that are genuine so that people who know you well would say if they were going to describe you they would say that they're they're real their faith is real their real their faith is authentic it's it's the real deal it's genuine right now last four weeks we've looked at four ways to live out a genuine life so other people would look at us and and say our faith is authentic now this morning, as we finish this series, I'd like to look at one more way in which we can prove that our faith is, is genuine. And it's, it's a way that was very relevant to the people back then who were the first ones to receive Peter's letter because what they were going through was an intense amount of suffering in their life. And that's what Peter's, what Peter's talking about, what we're going to talk about this morning. A life that's genuine is a life that that really embraces suffering. And we'll, we're going to look at that. And what I want us to see today is that what Peter wrote to them back then is every bit as relevant for your life and my life today as we go through hard times in, in, in our own lives. And, uh, and it, it all comes, what Peter talks about, uh, comes from really what begins with what I think is, uh, is the key statement in this letter that points us to everything else that Peter was going to write. And so we've looked at this statement over the last several weeks. He said, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And, and then he said, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so that statement is, Peter is saying, so that your faith may be proved genuine. Now, what we've seen over these last four weeks is Peter is not concerned that these people will escape the trials that they're going through. Not at all. In fact, what he does is that he, he um, 
His concern is that, is that they will prove the genuineness of their faith by how, how they live their lives in the, in the midst of their trials. And so, I mean, you could do this yourself. You could read through 1 Peter, and you're, you're not going to see a hint of regret in anything he writes that they're going through the hardship that they're going through. You're not going to find one word where he says, man, I, I, I wish you didn't have to experience any of this suffering in your life. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he challenges them to make the most of their suffering, to do this for their own benefit and for the benefit of others. And that's, so that's how Peter began, began his letter, and he comes back to it again in, this, in, the, in the chapter we're going to look at this morning, the verses in, in the fourth chapter. And this is what he shows us. This is the thing you're going to want to write down. Uh, he so, shows us that genuine faith embraces trials. Genuine faith welcomes trials. It doesn't push back at them. It doesn't try to get them out of, out of your life. Genuine faith embraces trials. Now, I would say understand this and believe it's true, and it's going to make all the difference in how you respond to hard times in your life, and, and you become much stronger and a much better person for it. You'll benefit, and everybody whose life you influence, all the people around you, are going to benefit from you living this kind of a way. And what I'm talking about here is not benefit in a small way, but benefit in a very profound and a very significant way, right? That's what Peter is saying to us. Now, the thing you got to know about Peter, Peter was very realistic. I think you can figure that out by reading everything that he wrote. Peter, Peter was not some kind of a Pollyanna where he was excessively, you know, uh, an excessively cheerful and optimistic person, you know, totally unrealistic. Peter, Peter had both of his feet on the ground. Peter was not into any kind of a, you know, pretending or faking or, or playing some kind of game where you pretend that life is easier than life really is or life is better than what life really is. So Peter was very realistic. But what he tells us here is that it's possible not only to survive through suffering, He's saying, you know, it's not just a matter of getting through your suffering, but you can thrive in it. He's telling us that you and I can use suffering in our, in our lives, to use it for our own good and to use it for the good of other people. So really, the passage, the verses we're going to read here are, are really pretty incredible, just filled with promise, all right? So Peter tells us two things, and I'm, I'm going to read these verses. He talks, he, he talks to us about the nature of trials in our life, and he talks to us about how to respond to these trials. So that's, that's the two parts of what we're going to cover this morning. So let's read what Peter wrote, and, and then we'll look at these two things. So he said, beginning verse 12, he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, 
If you suffer, it, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Okay, so first of all, the nature of suffering, what troubles and hardships in our lives really are, all right, which is invaluable because understanding, really, understanding the nature of trials, if you, if you understand that, you're, that's really 60 to 70% of responding. Understand what trials are from God's perspective, and you're already, you're halfway home, really, to, uh, um, uh, you know, respond to them in a way so, so that you'll benefit and, and you'll benefit other people. So here. Here's what they are, okay? Here's what trials are. Peter tells us that trials are a purifying fire for the purpose of testing. Okay, if you want to write something down. Trials are a purifying fire for the purpose of testing. Now, he, he shows us this in, in one verse, in verse 12, and he does it with, with two different sets of words. So the he says, first of all, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. Now, interesting, fiery ordeal comes from one word in the original language in the Greek, one word which means to purify, okay? So you could, you could, you could translate it this way. Peter would be saying, dear friends, do not be surprised at, at the purifying that has come on you. Now, you know, we all hear the word purify, and I think initially we think, well, I've got a total understanding of what that is. Purify, you become pure, okay? But there's added meaning here, okay, to what this word is talking about that I, I want us all to get. And the way to understand this is if you were to go to a silversmith who takes the ore, that, that rough piece of ore that has silver in it, and you were to ask him, how many times should I keep putting that ore into the fire? How, how many times should I do that? How often should I put the silver in into the fire? Even when the, when the rest is dropped away and it's just silver there, how long should I keep doing it? And he would tell you, I will do it as long as I need to until I can see my face reflected in it. Which is exactly what Jesus Christ does for each one of us. Jesus Christ will put us through the, through the fire of life, through the hard times of life, the trials of life. He will do that enough until he can see himself reflected in us. Right? Now, i got to tell you, everybody, if you get that kind of an understanding of trials, that, that they really have a purpose, it'll make, it, it, it's really life-transforming in your ability to deal with them and handle them. That's what will make it possible for you to embrace trials in your life because you understand there's purpose in them. There's an incredible purpose in them. It's, it's to make it possible for me to become more like Jesus Christ, and there's nothing better than that. Okay, so the first word is purify, and, and then the second word is test. And so he, he, get, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you 
to test you, to test you. Uh, what Peter is saying by that is, is this. He's saying, trials show you what you really are. Okay? Hard times, suffering shows you what you really are on the inside, your, your true character. Now, here's how to understand this, and it's really kind of fun. It's really kind of interesting, all that comes out of that one little word. Uh, uh, the ore, or the metal that you put into a fire, if you, were, if you did that kind of a thing, contains both the pure and the impure. Both what's worth something and what's really worthless. And in normal, I never knew this until, until I dug into the scripture and studied this. In normal temperature, they're together. They're intertwined. But the fire creates a separation. It, it, creates, it, it creates conditions where the impure and the impure, can, uh, impure cannot stay together. The, and, and the reason why is because the, the true metal, the silver or gold or whatever it is, it can withstand the fire, but all the impure parts, the parts that are, are, are really not worth anything, they just totally drop away. They disintegrate. Okay, that's, that's what happens. And so you, you understand that. Then the question is, well, what does that mean in my life spiritually? What does that mean for me as a person? And it means this. Go through a trial especially one that is intense, a very hard time in your life, and it will show you what you're made of, and more than anything else, it'll show you what it is that you trust, what it is that you trust to give you purpose and joy and satisfaction, the very thing that, the things that you depend on for all of that. It, you could think of it this way. Um, the, the potential is for each one of us to have a divided heart. But you don't fully realize it until you go through the fire. And just like a piece of ore has pure and impure parts to it, in the same way, you and I, we potentially have in our heart a mixture of allegiances, things that we put our trust in, what we really value, all right? So, for example... Uh, let, me, let me just, I'll, I'll do my drawing of a heart here. All right? And uh, you and I, we trust in God, okay? Perhaps, okay? Maybe most of us in here would say we trust in God. But we also might say, if, we're, if we really take a careful look inside of ourselves, we might say, you know what, but it's not only God that I trust in for my, my sense of worth and purpose and joy and satisfaction, there's other things that I trust in. So we might, we might say, if we're honest and we think about it, we might say, uh, one of those things is that, that I would trust in is, is my money or, or, my, or my possessions, okay? Or we might say that, that we trust in our career. I mean, that's, that's what we trust in to give us a sense of worth and satisfaction and this ultimate joy that we want in our, our life. Or, or it might be that you would say, you know what, really, if I'm honest, I would say my trust is in a, in a relationship that I have with, with another person. That, that's, a, that, that's the thing. And so I'll just do a big R for that one, all right? 
Or it might be that you would say, I, I, the thing I trust in is, is my health. Uh, man, as, as long as my health is good, man, all of life is good. That's, that's what you trust in. Or it might be that you would say, uh, you trust in your family, okay? I mean, it's, it's all family for you, okay? That's, you know, kind of all-consuming for you. Or it might be that you would say, you know, wh what I trust in is whatever pleasure I can get out of life, whatever, whatever good time that I can have. As long as I, I know that I can have enough of those good times, that I'm fine with my life. Or it might be that you, you might be here and you might say, you know what, honestly, Steve, the thing I'm trusting in right now is, is, is alcohol or drugs, that kind of thing. And as long as I've got that, man, I'm, I'm okay. I'm satisfied, you know. Um, but you know what happens? You know what happens? You and I really have no idea how much we trust in each one of these and how much we trust in God until we go through a really hard time in our life and one of those things is threatened to be taken away from us. You see, suffering, trials, troubles, the furnace, the fire show you what it is that you really trust, what it is you trust in, the inadequacy of the things that you trust in, if you're trusting in them other than God, and they treat it, 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 those hard times teach you that ultimately you've got to trust in God. See, whenever it's hard to obey God, whenever it's a, a costly thing to obey God, you're in the fire. And you find out what it is that you're really trusting. And you see the inadequacy of trusting anything, anything other than God. You know, in, in the Old Testament, if you were to go in the Old Testament and read it, first half of the Bible, you would find out that you know, it's all about the nation of Israel and that God had a group of men and women who were prophets that God sent to speak to the people of Israel. That's how they would hear God's word back then, primarily. And many times those prophets were sent to encourage the people and strengthen them and, and motivate them and inspire them to keep on you know, being true to God and following God. But sometimes God had to send those prophets to confront the people for, for their sin. For, and they, they had a lot of it. And, and, and most serious of all was their sin of idolatry where they, they would make these idols and they would bow down to them and, and worship them like they were some kind, of a, some kind of a god. One of those prophets was Jeremiah. And one time God sent Jeremiah to, the, to Israel and God spoke to Jeremiah through him to them and God said this, As a thief is disgraced, when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They say to wood, you are my father, and to, to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs, backs to me and not their faces, yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Okay? Now, we don't do this with idols of wood or stone. We're, I don't think any one of us have little wooden idol or stone idol at home. We bow down and we worship it and we depend on it. I don't think we do that. But it's easy to create our own 21st century idols. Idols of our own making, those kind of things, that we depend on 
for our sense of, you know, we trust in them, we depend on them for our sense of, of worth and, and joy and satisfaction. That's what we trust. And every single one of them disintegrate in the midst of trials and hardships. And it all comes down, really, what or who we trust in impacts, impacts how we respond to the hard times, the trials in our life. If, if, if we trust anything but God, you're going to go through a fire, and you're going to come out bitter, and you're going to come out angry, and you're going to come out cynical. On the other hand, if you trust God, you can go through an equally hard trial in your life, and you can come out better for it. Better character, stronger, more compassionate, more loving. I mean, really be a better person than you were before you went through that trial. Who you become depends on how you respond to the fire. And so, really, what we're going to see next and what Peter wrote to these men and women who were going through such extreme trial in their life, such suffering in their life, really is very relevant to every single one of us, no matter what kind of a hard time we're going through. So let's look at this. Let's look at how to respond to trials. And the first thing that Peter tells them is he said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And I took this right from the verse. So verse 12, he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. He said, Don't be surprised. He's, he's writing to men and women who the, the fire that, that they were in was about as intense as it could ever be. I mean, they were literally refugees scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They didn't know if they, you know, if they were gonna, if they were gonna be able to live more than one day. They didn't know if they were gonna get caught, if they were gonna be put in prison. I mean, these people were beat up because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But you read Peter's letter, and there's not a hint of regret, not a, not a hint of pity in what Peter wrote to them, not even close. Instead, he said this. He said, don't be surprised. Don't think it's a strange that this is happening to you. He said, expect it. In fact, I think Peter would even go so far as to say, if you're surprised by anything in life, be surprised that you don't go through hard times. I can't tell you how often I've had a conversation with someone and who might have said to me, you know what, Steve? I haven't really had a hard time in my life. And I always say back to them, well, your life's not over yet. You know, your life's not over yet. I mean, I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but that's the truth, okay? There is so much wisdom in what Peter wrote in this verse. And the truth is, everybody, and we just cannot miss this. If you think that life is only going to go your way, if you think you're not going to have any hard times in your life, even very hard times, if you think that way, you know what you're going to do to yourself? You're going to set yourself up for bitterness and anger and cynicism. Hey? Um, but don't misunderstand, Peter. Don't misunderstand him. He's not saying, 
He is not saying, don't grieve the losses that come with the trials that you go through in life. He's not saying anything like that. What he is saying is, don't be surprised at him. And I can tell you there's a huge difference between grief and surprise. Grief will never destroy you, but surprise will. You will not handle suffering if you're surprised by it. Whenever I hear somebody say, how could this happen to me? I always worry for that person because it happens. This is true for anything that you and I experience in life, any fiery trial we go through, including one where we have to suffer because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Peter said, don't be surprised. Peter then goes on to say that you and I should, we should rejoice in our trials. I love that one. Um, I mean, I got to tell you what, everybody, experience what, what these people were going through who were the first followers of Christ, and you, you're going to have to have a huge incentive to rejoice. And Peter gives it to them, and it has two parts to it. And the first part is the privilege of, of being able to share in the suffering of Jesus Christ. And, and so he, he said this, he said, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, i got to tell you, <laughs> that is a statement that if you just read it and you run right past it, you just go right on, and you don't stop and ponder it and think about it, you're going to miss it. I mean, my goodness, what he's talking about here is, he said, participate in the sufferings of Christ. That is, what he's saying is, you're going you're gonna to experience every kind of suffering that Christ went through. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that. You're, he's saying that's, that's an incredible privilege that you and I should rejoice in the privilege of being able to do. <laughs> the Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And then he explained what he meant by that. He said, yes, to know the power of his resurrection... And boy, I can understand that one. That's really easy to get that one, you know, the power of his resurrection. But Paul also said, I want to know what it means to participate in his sufferings. He said, I want to become like Christ in his death. And, and you know what? It's one thing for me to say that. It would be, Paul, man, he's really experienced it. If you want to know what it means for Paul... To, I, to participate in the sufferings of Christ, read the 11th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, and you'll find out that it meant that he was beat up, he was stoned, he was, you know, he was put in prison, he repeatedly faced death, he, he, he suffered cold and hunger and thirst, unlike anything that I would guess any single one of us in this room have ever experienced in our life. And Paul said, I rejoice in that. And Peter said, rejoice in that, as he's writing to these people who are going through it. And then the second part is the promise of reward. And, and so Peter went on and he said, you know, not only the first part, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, but then he said this, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, you know what I think Peter's saying? I think he's saying there's a direct correlation between how much, how much we suffer on this earth for Christ and how great our joy is going to be when he returns. Now, see, because 
the more you invest in yourself for Christ, the more, the more it's going to hit you when he, when he returns in all the glory of heaven. The more it's going to hit you like you're going to go, it was worth it. It was worth it. And the more you put into it, the more it's going to be. You're going to have that sense it was worth it. It was worth it. And all that doubt is forever gone. In fact, in fact you know what? I, I, believe, I believe the more we understand the infinite greatness of Jesus and his eternal glory, the further we are into, into glory, the greater our joy is going to be for every bit of suffering we suffered for Christ. And, the, and you know what else? It's going to, the further we are into eternity, the smaller the suffering we went through is going to seem to us. You know, it's going to be like, why did that even bother me? You know? I think that's what Paul must have meant. And when he, when he said this in, in his second letter to the Corinthians, and I love how he said this. I mean, this is Paul saying this, who was beat up, who was stoned, who was, who was whipped, who was put in prison, who suffered anything anybody could suffer. And this is what he said about all those things. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart for our light and momentary troubles. That's what he said. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Peter said, says, when trials come, don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice. And then he adds this. This is the next one. I love it. He said, live responsibly. Live responsibly. And this is how, what he said. He said, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests in, on you. If you suffer, if you suffer, it, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Even as a meddler. I think Peter's on to something here. When you go through hard times, it's very easy, very easy to rationalize and excuse sinful attitudes and behaviors. It's kind of like you say to yourself, well, I, de you know, I'm, I deserve it. I, you know, I'm going through such a hard time in my life. I can do whatever I want to do. You know, it's so easy to get absorbed in your own troubles and turn your back on God. And, and so Peter's saying, just don't do that. And, and, and we see here that the sin that, that Peter is listing is very serious sin. He, criminal kinds of things, murder and robbery. But don't miss the last one. Meddler, meddling. Meddling. You all know what it means to be to meddle, right? It's, it's when you stick your nose in someone else's business where your nose shouldn't be, okay? It's you being concerned about things that shouldn't concern you, you know? And, and which, which is really, it's a, it's a sin, but it's not at the level of murder or adultery, but it's still a sin and it's still something we shouldn't do. And I think it brings up a point. I think it brings up a point. When you're in the midst of hard times, it might be that you would say, no, I would never do that, you know, the really bad kinds of sin, like murder, or theft, or anything like that. I would never do that kind of thing. But you know what? I can do this. 
I can do this little sin over here or this little sin over here. Kind of escape kinds of sins that just for a little, little bit of time make you feel better. And you, say, you can say to yourself, you can fool yourself into thinking, you know, I can do those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Charles Spurgeon made a very wise observation about little sins. And this is what he said. I just love it. He said, an ounce of sin, an ounce of sin will hurt you far more than 10 million tons of suffering. An ounce of sin will hurt you far more than 10 million tons of suffering. Don't miss this, everybody. Sin, however small that sin might seem to you, hardens your heart. It can embitter you. It can make you even more selfish. On the other hand, suffering obedient, obediently, being faithful to God in the midst of your suffering makes your heart great. Makes you great. And so Peter said, when trials come, don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice in your trials. Be thankful for what you can gain through them, for what you can learn through them, how your character can develop, how you can become a better person. And then he said, live responsibly. And last but not least, he said, commit yourself to God. And he, he said, commit yourself to God. And, and then he and then he, and he wrote this, okay? He said, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. <laughs> so thankful for that verse. What it can mean for every one of us. See, you can, you can know this, everybody. Whatever trial you're going through in life, no matter how hard your life might be right now, and you might be feeling that your hope is fading and your confidence in God is shaking, it might be that your enthusiasm for spiritual things right now is draining, and I just want you to know that there is a clear word from God for you in that statement right there in that verse. And Peter's saying this, Trust the creator of this universe. Trust the God who is infinite in his wisdom and his power. Trust your most loving father who will always be faithful to you. Trust the one who's put himself in the fire for you. Trust Jesus who died for you. Trust him with all of your heart and continue to do good. That's what Peter's saying. That's what God's saying. Embrace every trial in your life, trusting God to make you better through it and through you helping others to become better themselves. I believe it with all my heart. It is really true. Genuine faith embraces trials. Genuine faith embraces trials. Doesn't push them away, but welcomes them. And there's every reason to do it. Because if you do, you will bring honor to God. Your heart will become greater. You'll become a better person for it. And everybody whose life you impact will become better for knowing you. Yeah, that's what we're talking about this morning. That's, 
Well, I just, you know, sometimes you, I mean, almost becomes like a joke for me. Because every passage of scripture, I mean, I go like, this is the best. You know? And this one is really up there. Okay. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. And, um, and then we'll worship. Father, I'm, I'm really just so grateful to you how your word speaks so straight to us. How there's, just that, there's no game playing. There's no fake stuff. It's just so real. It's so true. And everything that Peter wrote, your spirit guiding him and writing it is the absolute truth. It is, it is wisdom to the core. I thank you for that. And then, Father, this morning I pray for any person here in this place who's going through a really hard time in their life right now, God, I, I would ask that you would take this truth and just let it just uh, strengthen them and encourage them. And Father, give them what they need to keep on trusting you and be faithful to you. Father, I pray this for all of us. Because all of us, Father, at some point, we're going to go through a really hard time in our life. And I would just ask that your spirit would just, in those times, just bring the truth of this scripture into our minds and just let it sink into our hearts to the very core of who we are. And I pray this for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen.